I, I think I think there's two things when it when it comes to becoming an A player. Um, the production is definitely high up on the list. But as far as recruiting goes, I mean, I think people get caught up in the agency part of it because the idea is they think they can recruit three, four, five, six people, and then that's going to be like the team that takes them to the promised land. And sometimes you get some really good people out of the first five or six, but it's it's consistently building over time that does it. It's the consistent, persistent effort, even when you don't feel like doing it, even when it doesn't seem like it's making a big difference. Right that compounded over time will lead you to the people that end up becoming the stars in your organization. Hey everybody, Arturo Johnson here. Welcome to the next uh, episode of the Rainmaker Podcast. And I got a dandy for you. I got Mr. Trey Honeycutt himself. And just a couple fun facts about Trey. He um, used to be Andrew Taylor's um, recruiter. Then he went full time in 2017, and man, did he take off from there. Um, has over 3,500 families that he protects every single month with about 600 writing agents. So, uh, Mr. Trey, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, awesome. I'm excited about this. Yeah, for sure. I am too. And I was just talking to to, to to Dave Wichard, and so he was excited and told me to tell you what's up. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Um, take me back to the beginning. When did you um, kind of uh, take your entrepreneurial journey um, at this point? Well, it was, it was long before life insurance. Um, <laughs> I did a bunch of different things that... Um, I always say all that, all the stuff I've done in the past really kind of prepared me for, for life insurance. It's interesting, it's interesting how that works. Yes. You know, you, um, the stuff that you, you pray to God's going to work out and going to be the deal is usually just preparing you for something better. Yeah. And so when I got to life insurance, I had all these skills that I was prepared to, to put into play, you know, here. Uh, but I've been self-employed, um, really since I was 18 years old, I, wow. I started out selling Cutco cutlery. And I uh, went to the Marine huh? Corps. Yeah, the knives. Yeah, and I, I joined the Marine Corps. And uh, after I got out of boot camp in my in my tech school, my MOS training, uh, I was in the reserve. So even during that time, I was I was pretty much self employed. I had a few jobs here and there, uh, but I always had something on the side. Always something ten ninety nine. Um, lots of different things. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So how did you get um, introduced to insurance? Where, where did that come into play? Well, in 2008, I, um, I worked at a gym and a lady that I worked with at the gym, she was selling insurance part-time mm -hmm. and it was 2008, you know, like nothing's going good then. Right. Yeah. Crazy. So she's, uh, she's selling insurance part-time and she, you know, she might see the podcast, but she totally lied about how successful she was. <laughs> but she, that happened to me too. She, Weird. <laughs> so she, she introduced me to some other people. And I based my decision on insurance based on the fact that she was lying to me. So I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to do it. You know, she didn't have to fake the funk. She just told me straight up. Actually, right. she was doing just fine, but she had to, she had to make it like she was, you know, really had inflated her there. numbers a little bit. And, uh, but the people she introduced me to, I kind of stayed friends with throughout that whole time from 2008 to like 2012. And, uh, they were still doing well, even mm -hmm. during the recession. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting because uh, most industries were not. <laughs> and 
And what was cool about it was a couple of the people that she introduced me to, they just stayed friends with me. They didn't try to recruit me back into insurance or whatever. We just talked about baseball and different stuff. And then finally it, it, it dawned on me, hey, maybe I should take a look at this life insurance thing again. So in uh, 2012, I started thinking about getting my license again, and then I got it again in 2013. And uh, yeah, so that's that's how I got back into the industry. Oh, okay. So what's the connection with you and Andrew Taylor? How did that relationship um, go? <laughs> so, so the company that I got back into the industry with was the company that Andrew Taylor worked with before. And my first meeting at that company was Andrew's last meeting. <laughs> And we just have <laughs> your to first there. meeting was his and last meeting was his last meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and I almost didn't go, you know, um, it was actually my second meeting. There, there's more to the story. Actually, It was my second meeting at that meeting mm -hmm. the week before I went to a meeting and somebody offended me so bad. Mm. And I remember just getting my feelings are almost to the point where I almost cried. Like I was so offended and I was just like, I ain't, I ain't coming back to this. This ain't for me. <laughs> And then one of the people in the meeting, her name was Patrice, bless her heart. She, uh, she was like, Hey, don't worry about them. You, you just come back next week. Right. You know, when you, when you go out there this week, try to try to add on some children's whole life is what she told me. <laughs> and then let me know how you did. And so I, I literally came back the next week cause she did that. And that's where I met Andrew and we, you know, we didn't like really hit it off or anything, but he was just like, Hey, you know what? If, if you ever need mutual of Omaha applications, call me because mm. we lived in the same city and I was like, okay. And then the next day he was, he was working somewhere else. And so I stayed around there for a little while and then I kept running into him in the field and he would always beat me. Like he'd replace my stuff he'd get there <laughs> first. It's like this freaking, I don't like this. Yes. So if you can't beat him, join him. So I, yeah. I talked my way in. <laughs> awesome. 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 So, so what happened from there? So yeah, you, you have a specific place He's he's on his way out. You're in, you're on your way in, and now you guys are crossing paths at some place where y'all are um, both um, at, at different um, uh, organizations, but y'all are working on the same goal, like trying to to fight to see people. And uh, he's like, okay, this guy keeps keeps beating me. So, um, what happened after um, you know you guys made that that transition? Well, he he still sold a lot more than me. <laughs> but at least he couldn't replace my business if we worked in the same agency, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, and so that's kind of how I got in. But over time, you know, what really endeared me to Andrew um, was I learned a lot from Andrew because he always sold a lot of insurance personally. Mm -hmm. It's probably the, I mean, he always sold a lot of insurance. And the thing about him that was always so endearing was the fact that he wasn't the number one all time, like, highest percentage close rate person you know mm -hmm. he was the guy that would close 30 40 percent of the time but he just did a lot of activity consistently so andrew could go to seven eight nine appointments and not sell them and then show up to the 10th 11th and 12th like nothing was wrong and then sell those ones like he wow. could keep a good attitude and keep the activity high and not be real emotional up or down like if mm -hmm. he sold a big policy he never got excited if he didn't sell it, he never really got too discouraged. He yeah. just stayed really even keel. And uh, that example is really when I look back, that's, that's the greatest example. But um, what happened was my mom got cancer. Mm. And Sorry after that. that first quarter in insurance, 
I really wasn't selling that much. And our relationship developed because he never treated me any different. He treated me the same if I sold a lot or if I sold a little. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he wasn't dependent on me for the income. <laughs> so when I, when I talk to agents that are like, you know, trying to build an agency, the first thing I tell people is you don't have enough pieces on the chessboard, uh. you know, B- believe in everybody, but don't count on anybody. And then mm. the second thing I say is make sure you're producing at a high level yourself. Like your goal should be, you know, to pay all your bills off personal production. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, um, it creates the right, um, dynamic in the group if you're just selling at a high level yourself. And so, yeah, that's, that's how me and Andrew, me and Andrew met. And I, I sold for a couple years before I became his recruiter mm-hmm. and, um, it just, it just worked out really well. Gotcha. So I'm, I'm curious to ask you this cause you, you've, um, got so much experience in this. Do you think that um, the the better way to try to attract the people that you're looking at is to one become that person first, right? Like what, what you're saying, and then um, really start to grow an agency because they've seen you produce it. And and a lot, I know a lot of times it's our paradigm and when we come in where somebody told us because it happened to me, somebody told me how much money they were making, and I thought it was a good idea. Then once I learned the system and I like learned to look at the numbers and I could calculate on the back of the napkin, I was like, wait a minute, this dude's making a teacher salary. So um, what's your philosophy or what's your thoughts on, you know, becoming an A player first? Yeah, I, I think I think there's two things when it when it comes to becoming an A player. Um, the production is definitely high up on the list. But as far as recruiting goes, I mean, I think people get caught up in the agency part of it because the idea is they think they can recruit three, four, five, six people. And then that's going to be like the team that takes them to the promised land. And sometimes you get some really good people out of the first five or six, but it's it's consistently building over time that does it. It's the consistent, persistent effort, even when you don't feel like doing it, even when it doesn't seem like it's making a big difference. Right. That compounded over time will lead you to the people that end up becoming the stars in your organization. And so the, th- the one thing that I try to get people to understand, because because what happens is people get so caught up into the selling side and they mm-hmm. say, hey, I want to build an agency. I want to build an agency. They get so caught up in the selling side that they never actually recruit or build an agency. So I just try to set the right expectations around it. I try to get people to understand, take two people a day from not knowing to knowing about your opportunity. Mm. And if you do that consistently over time, they'll do what you do. And then that's where the growth comes from in the organization. Like if I did that five days a week, and I took 10 people a day from not knowing to knowing about life insurance sales in my agency. That's 10 a week. If I did it 50 weeks out of the year, that's 500 out of the year. What are the odds out of those 500? I couldn't find 50 to raise their hand and say, hey, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. You know, you, right. you know you're, you're, you're selling warm leads. You're sitting down with people that are interested in life insurance. You're guiding them to the right product, see what they qualify for. You're putting in time on the phone. Like, I, I could do all that stuff. Yeah. And what are the odds out of those 50 that at the end of the year, you couldn't find five that could go out there and, and help 20 to 30 families a month with a policy? Gotcha. I mean, you know, and then what's really interesting, and this is where people get stuck, is if you consistently, persistently do that and push that in that direction, then those five will do what you did. Wow. And then now all of a sudden you have, 30 people 
producing at a really high level and a bunch of other people trying to figure it out. And that's where the growth comes from. Yeah. But people way, you know, underestimate what they can accomplish in a year or two, but they way overestimate what they can do in a week or two. So a week or two in, they're just like, hey, I don't have 35 people writing insurance. It's I'm failing. That, that's not true. <laughs> you just got to yeah. consistently do it, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's a... Uh... That's an amazing viewpoint. And so I want to dive a little bit deeper into that from 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 what you've seen over people who have um, first and foremost, you know, uh, congratulations getting to become an integrity partner. That's nothing um, to, to just gloss over. But from, but from what you've seen in your experience for people building agencies that are successful, somebody's looking out there and they want to get to, you know, get considered in that light of having a million dollar per month agency. What are like the five to six things that you need to get right? What are the key ingredients of having a successful uh, agency that is thriving and growing in this business? Okay, so the first thing is you have to work hard. Like people need to see you work hard. When people are, when you're not, when you're not the hardest worker on your team, it's hard to follow you. Mm. Like, like if your agents are calling you at 7.30 and you're at the movies with your family, but they're still in the field, it's not a good look. Like they, mm, it can't mm, be like mm. that every night. <laughs> you know, they need to believe that you're out there in the fight with them, not just, you know, making overrides. You know, nobody likes the psychology of an override is a huge thing. Like one of the things that I, I was really disciplined with in the beginning is I didn't go online and post all the fun stuff I did. You know, like it's Saturday and, you know, like I'm at the Lakers game, like I'm not posting it, you know. <laughs> So, because somebody's out in the field knocking on a door and somebody didn't show up and then they got porched and now they're driving to like 7-Eleven. They're about to run out of gas, mm-hmm. you know, getting a sandwich at that same 7-Eleven. Yeah. Trying to figure out if they're going to yeah. get gas and a sandwich. Yeah. I've been there before. Had to do that. You know, so it's it, so that was the big thing. It's just understanding the psychology of the override. The second thing is not being afraid to invest money mm. <laughs> like people. This is not being afraid to invest money is a huge part of it. Like it's going to take financial investment. So what I see a lot of people do. Hey, I just want to break in here for just a couple of seconds. If you're a life insurance agent that wants to go from zero to 100 K per month, I need you to listen up. We have a free course that you can grab right now. The link is in the description for this video. You're going to get over 30 hours of training and deep dive instruction on how you can do this. It is the best performing piece that we have that is absolutely free to life insurance agents to take them from where they are, 100K plus every month. Follow these instructions, grab the course. It's called Life Insurance Agent University. is that they go out there and they'll start to get ahead and they immediately change their lifestyle. And the way I was taught to do it was don't change your lifestyle at all. Like if you get your income to X amount, take that X amount over what it takes to pay your bills and invest it back in the business, Mm. into staff, infrastructure, leads, (laughs) people. Yeah, people, 100%. Health agents, do, do more for people than what they expect you to do. And, um, so that's the other thing. And then the uh, being selfless, start thinking more about other people's goals than you think about your goals. The one common denominator that anybody that builds a big agency, no matter where they build it, they have those three things. They work really hard. 
they're selfless and they're not afraid to invest money. Um, I would say a fourth thing is learn how to become system dependent, not people dependent, right? If, if, if your agency is growing simply because of your charisma and your ability to drive it, what happens when you're not there? You've got to learn how to create a business that'll work when you're not there to push it. And in order to do that, the consistent, persistent activity over time, if you do it long enough, people will eventually do what you're doing. But the idea of the week or changing every three weeks or every month and saying, we're doing this now, we're doing that now, those big, massive sweeping changes literally squelches your growth. If you look at any organization, like in my organization, one of the top people in my organization quit for two years. Like he started with us and then he went away for two years and then he came back and then he blew up. And now he's an integrity partner. That's Stephen Yee. Mm. But Stephen was gone for two years. But what we did was we were consistently, persistently doing the same activity over and over and over and over again, even when it didn't seem to be working. And we stayed around two years so he could come back, you know? And then it, it became a roadmap of what to do where people weren't always going, well, what, what about now? What, what's the next best thing? What, you know, the shiny object syndrome and always changing. Cause, cause I look at it like this organizations are like a clock, you know, how clocks, they have all those gears. Yes. So if you start changing the big gear, the direction of the big gear at the top, all you're doing is breaking off the pieces of gears at the bottom and you got to start over. And so, just becoming predictable and consistent. Yeah. I think sure. those are probably the four things. Yeah. And I, I want to kind of recap on those points because I think that that was so powerful. And so um, if if you want to become um, a, a, a successful agent and grow a million dollar per month agency, um, number one is you, you got to be hardworking. Number two, be a selfless servant leader. And then number three is investing in your business. And this is a big one because I always say a lot of people want change, but they only want to invest change. And so the, the number one investment that you're going to get the most in is your business. And the second, um, the, the first one is you. And then the second one is your business. And so um, that's very important. And then the, number four is you got to be an action taker. And a lot of times people want to win a championship, but they're not willing to put in the sacrifice to get those results. And so those are the four keys to having a successful agency. So yeah. um, in, in regards to that, um, what have you seen from the agents? Right. What are the talents or the skills or the scripts or you know, everybody's looking at those things? What are some of the commonalities for agents that you've seen that have become some of the top producers? Well, the number one thing I look for is uh, gratitude. I think gratitude super important. I think people that take personal responsibility for where they are. You know, a lot of times in this industry, we talk about personal growth and, and personal development and self-development and what books are you reading? And the reason why that's so important is because it's a tool to teach people to take personal responsibility. Because mm. you can't fix a problem that you don't know that you have. Reading and, is a tool that helps you take personal responsibility. I love that. I had, I had to write that one down. Yeah, because it gets you into a proactive mindset, not a reactive mindset. And you can't you can't fix a problem that you don't know that you have. So no matter what went wrong or what went right, or what I could have done better, or or who did something wrong to me, it was I always took personal responsibility. Like that was my fault. I I 
I could I could have done something different. I never blamed anybody, never held a grudge, forgave people really quickly, and just kept the thing moving forward. Right. So, um, so that's another thing I look for: people that take personal responsibility. A lot of times, what happens when we recruit people is you recruit people with literal like character flaws, and and y'all think y'all can fix them, <laughs> like. Like when I say y'all, I mean, I, I would do that, you know, and, and what I came to realize it's, it's a lot easier to recruit people that are already in a good place emotionally, mentally, mm. than it is to go pick up people that need a lot of help and try to be the savior. Mm. In fact, one of the things that happens a lot as you're building your agency is people are going to call you with problems. And the skill I had to develop was to teach people to solve their own problems. Mm. Because what I used to do is I would jump in and fix it, right? So there's, there's, um, there's, there's basically three roles. I call this the triangle, mm. okay? So, so Martha calls me with a problem, and, and I'll listen to a problem, and then I have a solution. So I'm like, Martha, the solution is this. And as soon as I do that, I, I bring myself into this situation where um, I'm going to be the persecutor. Hmm. She's going to be the victim. You know what I mean? Like, and, and in order for me to get out of that situation, I'm going to have to eventually become the victim. And it creates this weird dynamic. Because if my advice doesn't work the way I said it would, then she's going to blame me for it and say, I knew I shouldn't have said that. If it works great, she's going to say, well, you should have told me that before. Why do you have to ask you? <laughs> Why you didn't tell you me know? that sooner? <laughs> so, so what I learned to do is when somebody goes, hey, what should I do? I go, I don't know. What do you think you should do? Yes. Yes. And then, and then I let them tell me because you can't solve a problem in the same mindset of somebody with the problem. Like. If you're in crisis mode with a problem, you got to fix your mindset to proactive thinking in order to solve the problem, and you can't do it while you're complaining. Yes. So what I would do is, is I would say, here's what we need to do, Martha. We need to do a perspective analysis. So what I want you to do is write down your problem, everything that's going wrong, and on the other sheet of the paper, I want you to write down everything that you can do, and then call me back, and we'll yeah. talk about those things. So I just got people to start thinking proactively rather than jump in and offer the solution all the time. Yeah. And can I say something to that point? Because this is important. A, a, a lot of times, a lot of times as a leader, um, we want to jump in there and solve all of our um, all of our team members problems. But what happens is, is now you've taken accountability for their problem instead of letting them solve it themselves. And Einstein says that a problem cannot be solved on the same level it was created. So if you don't help encourage to teach this person how to think they're always going to come back to you for the problems and then if you do offer a solution they're going to blame you and so with that you always want to teach your people how to think 100 percent. so how did you learn that because that's wisdom that has come through trial and tribulation in time so when did you become wise that this is the philosophy and approach that you needed to take when being in leadership well at different levels there's different obstacles like we used to always say every level has a new devil mm -hmm. the original level that i learned that at was when new agents get started mm -hmm. because i used to have when i would start new agents out i would over prepare them and i and i would create more problems doing that than i would just letting them go out there and figure it out because 
your your tendency when you when you when you get someone started is you want to soften all the blows and make it easy and help them get over all the obstacles you had to go through. And the more you do that, the less it works because it overcomplicates it. The reality of this business is it's not that hard technically. Like you call people, you set appointments to go see them and you go see them and help them, or you call people, see if they have time right then, try to help them on the phone. You can't say the wrong thing to the right person. I've sold insurance policies to people that cannot stand me, <laughs> but they just don't want to go. They don't want to go through the process again. Right. And so if you just understand doing enough activity, 25% of them are probably going to get the product no matter what. Right. You know, 25% of them ain't ever going to get it from anybody ever. That's just the test. Mm. It's just God has a sense of humor. Yes. And the other 50% is, you know, as you get more skilled, you start to close those ones. But I realized that the more I prepared people, the, the, the worse off they actually were. And I wasted valuable time because an hour in the field's worth 20 in the classroom. So like when I was in junior high, this is the illustration I give folks. When I was in junior high, um, so my name's Trey, right? And I had two friends in junior high, um, Elder and Marlon. Those are my two friends. And there was another, I thought I was Vanilla Ice, okay? <laughs> and so... There was another vanilla ice at the at the school and we had had a school dance and we did vanilla ice dance off so we had this little competition where like it became like a rivalry and i found out one day when i first got to school that he wanted to fight me and his name was shannon mm. and i was like oh crap shannon wants to fight me well i didn't have nobody really knew who i was <laughs> so it started going around the school that shannon and tracy were going to be fighting after school everybody thought it was a girls fight so, <laughs> so what happens is like all throughout the day in between periods and during class, me, Elder and Marlon would get out of class and we'd go to the bathroom and we would start training to fight because mm. he was bigger. He was like six foot one. Like I was, you know, same height as I am now. I haven't really grown since seventh grade. I've grown this way. Not, uh. <laughs> and uh, so so we're trying to train to fight and like like elder like he knew taekwondo like he was like a black belt in taekwondo no joke mm. and then marlin was just crazy you know and so we were in there sparring and the more i sparred the more i realized i'm gonna get beat up <laughs> like i had more anxiety by the end of the day i wasn't afraid i wasn't that afraid to fight at the beginning but by the end of the day they would come up with scenarios. They'd be like, all right, this is what you do if he pulls out a knife. And I'm like, he could pull out a knife. He could pull out a knife? That. I didn't even think about that. You know? <laughs> this is what he did. This is what you do if he bites your ear. Like, gee, I didn't know he could bite my ear. Like, they're giving me all these techniques. If he gets you on the ground and he's choking you and you start to black out, this is what you do. Mm. He can so now I'm more anxiety ridden. So when a new agent starts, they're at their highest level of anxiety mm -hmm. and their lowest level of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And the way to change that is what happened with me. I show up to fight Shannon. He pushes me. I push him back. He gets me in a headlock. We fall on the ground, roll around about four times. And then Mr. Henderson, the PE teacher, comes and breaks, breaks it up. It up. <laughs> the next day, we're best friends and we're vanilla ice dancing together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes. It turned out... All that anxiety, all that, it didn't do anything. I got punched in the face, got put in the headlock, rolled around. I was okay. I made it. I could have skipped all the sparring in the, in the bathroom. It didn't really help that much. So, so the highest level of anxiety and the lowest level of knowledge, what we want to do is we want to increase knowledge and lower anxiety, you know, however I do that. 
And um, the way to do that is through action. Not mm. trying to solve everybody, not trying to figure out every single thing about every single objection that'll ever get thrown at you ever before you make a phone call. Like when I when I start people, my whole goal when I recruit somebody is to get them to make a phone call. That's it. Yes. I just call Bob and tell him you're coming over. And people hear that and go, oh, that didn't sound like good training. Listen, the training to get people to start is not the same training to get them to help 50 families a month. But if you want to get people to help 50 families a month, you have to have enough training to push them into the water to get them to start. Because yes. the fear of the unknown is what holds people back. Crossing the abyss from not doing to doing is the hardest part of the business. Yes, 100%. And to kind of to, to drive that point home, um, I tell a lot of agents uh, this because I've been there before where I'm scouring on YouTube or looking on the website trying to find this information. And, I'm, and uh, the message is that... Uh, uh, preparation is is massive procrastination when you're just online trying to just learn everything that you need to do. The way you're going to learn is by failing your way to success, getting on a phone call, um, dialing those leads, going in the home or over virtual to those appointments. That's how you're going to get better. And if you're staying, you know, in the classroom, like you said, wasting those uh, 20 hours when you could spend one in the field that's way more valuable than that, then that's how you're going to have success is in the presence of in doing action is the way that you learn. No doubt. So, um, so let's talk about the agents out there that are aspiring to kind of get where you are. And they're probably doing hundred K per month agency. And they're like, all right, I want to 10 X my business over the next 12 months. Um, what are some key things that they should focus on and some common pitfalls that they probably should watch out for that can distract them from hitting their goal? Well, I think there's, I think there's two metrics that you really need to, to focus on. Volume is, um, it's not the metric that you want to look at. You know, that, that comes last. What I always measured was how many writers am I growing the number of writers each month? And am I growing the number of people who are recruiting each month? Like I was interested in writing agents, but I was also interested in hiring agents. Like how many agents on the team are actually going out there building an agency themselves? Um, so those were the two things I looked at. I never paid that much attention to uh, the volume or the, the, the issue paid number. I was looking at how many writing agents and how many people were actually out there hiring with me. Because um, if you can get a group of five people doing it with you, then you can get a group of 50 people doing it with you. And the team that grows the fastest is the team that has more people building uh, and selling at the same time. And you can do both. You know, that's where the whole two a day thing came in because if, if, if all I'm doing is two times a day having two five minute conversations, that's 10 minutes a day. And then I send people to a video that does the heavy lifting and explains it to them. And then I follow up with people that are interested. That doesn't interfere with me going out there and setting appointments and selling people and helping people with insurance um, at all. Like I could do that every day to not interfere. But if I can do that consistently and I can get five, 10, 50, 100 people to do it with me, um, if 100 people did that with me every day, that's 200 people a day from not knowing to knowing about my opportunity. If I did that five days a week, that's 1,000 people a week. I mean, what are the odds if you, if you show this great opportunity of this great profession of life insurance and annuity sales, final expense sales, 
yeah. to a thousand people in a week mm -hmm. that you have a relationship with that you have an audience with that are willing to listen to you. I mean, what are the odds that a whole bunch of them don't raise their hand and say, Hey, I could at least try that on Saturday. Yeah. You know, my, my metric that I was always trying to look at was how many people can I get to do this part-time on Saturday? Mm. <laughs> you know, not quit their job and just jump right in and go for broke and all that stuff's good. I, I don't have a problem with all that, but look, if your job is like Uber eats, like you can you go ahead and quit that. Like you can go right back to that. Right. But if you work at jet propulsion laboratory and you have a PhD in order to work there, don't just quit your job because you had a good weekend in the field. Like I, I don't, I, that, that probably isn't a good idea <laughs> in years to get that job. And you just have to be realistic with some stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, as we kind of wrap this one up, I want you to kind of bring us home. So if, if, if you are giving your younger self, so we're going to go back in the time machine and you're going to give yourself one piece of advice, you're struggling agent, just, just really uh, excited about this, but you're unsure, kind of scared, not knowing what the future is going to hold for you. And you know, in your mind where you are today, that if you don't give up, that you can have success. What's one piece of advice that you would give, you know, to that, to that younger self? Um, do the right thing. You know, if you keep doing the right thing long enough, it'll work out. Um, and don't be so afraid of having hard conversations with people. Mm. I, I was always afraid to avoid, I was, I, I never wanted to have like conflict. Like I have a, like, uh, I, I avoided conflict with people and mm. I would let things boil up to the point where like, everybody was so frustrated. And so what I had to learn to do, and I wish I had learned it earlier, was when things start to get weird, just call it out and have conversations and learn how to have conversations, learn, learn how to give correction and uh, ideas and help without sounding like you're complaining. Mm. You know, learn, learn how to ask for help without sounding like you're complaining. Yes. Those are some of the things that I would definitely tell myself because that was some of my biggest struggles. Yeah, and that makes sense why you're such a great leader because great leaders know that to get to that next level and boiling down what you said is you have to master the art of communication. 100%. Well, Trey, definitely have learned a lot. I took, I actually, this is the first time I pulled out. I took some notes from the things that you had because you have dropped some gems. So uh, thank you again so much for, for hopping on the show. It was definitely amazing. I appreciate everything you do. You have really great content and you're doing really good things out there for the industry. So keep it up. You're doing an awesome job. Thank you so much. Hey, I know you just enjoyed this video, but I've got a great one for you right here. Make sure you go ahead and click it right now and get a ton more of our free information that's going to show you how to go from zero to 100K per month.